Good morning. I always like to pray before I start because I have to feed my addiction. I'm addicted to the presence of God. <clears throat> so if you don't mind feeding my addiction <laughs> and your addiction, I hope. So Father, thank you that you're already here. Thank you that <clears throat> you are inhabiting the praises that we've already sent up to you and to Jesus. We love when you come, when you fill this place. Thank you that because of Jesus, we can draw very, very close. We love your manifested presence. Well, we can actually feel you enter into that beautiful presence which brings life and hope and healing. So would you speak to us today? Jesus' lovely name. Amen. When uh, Ramesh asked me to uh, share this morning, I spent a couple days just praying about what he would have me share on. And it surprised me a bit, but uh, it really felt quite clearly like he wanted me to share on perseverance. And it's... Uh, it's not something in our culture that's very popular, but it's, it's of very high value in the kingdom. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll look up what, what does perseverance mean in the, in the diction of Webster's. It says, persist in a state, enterprise, or undertaking in spite of counter-influences, opposition, or discouragement. Have you ever experienced any of these issues in your life? Did you know that painful trials are normal for the Christian? Did you know you signed up for that? <laughs> First Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And the verse 19 says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should submit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And I looked up in the thesaurus about perseverance. It says, Steadiness, constancy, tenacity of purpose, persistence, plodding, patience. As a verb, it says, hold on, be in at the depth, stick to, cling to, adhere to, keep on, maintain one's course, go to all lengths, go through fire and water, bear up, keep up, hold up, continue. As an adjective, steady, steadfast, undeviating, unwavering, unfaltering, unswerving, unflinching, unremitting, untiring, in fact, never tiring of purpose. Through evil report, a good report. Through thick and thin at any price. And if you look in the scriptures, it's everywhere. I'm going to read several little brief portions. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. 
Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, we're, we're born in, again in a moment, but there's an ongoing work of working it into us, into our lives. Hebrews 3.6, but Christ is a faithful, faithful as a son over God's house. We are his house if we hold on to our courage and hope of which we boast. Hebrews 6.11, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who faith and patience inherit what has been promised. You can see that each one of us actually has a large part, large part to play. We're not to be passive, but actively involved. We are to persevere to obtain the promise. Some more verses. Psalm 111, they are steadfast forever and ever, done in faithfulness and uprightness. Psalm 112, he will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast. We had a little bad news these days, like every day. <laughs> Psalm 119, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. First Peter 5.10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You see, the key is that we're connected to God, connected to Jesus. It's not gritting your teeth and, uh, you know, holding your breath and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's tied to a person. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 1 Timothy 4, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Hebrews 10, 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. James 1. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James 5, 11. As you know, we consider blessed are those who have persevered you have heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Romans 5, verse 3. And not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Do people rejoice in sufferings? Or do you even rejoice, let alone rejoice? <laughs> Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Something we seem to have lost in the church is he's really into character formation. 
Second Thessalonians verse one. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and trial you are enduring. Second Corinthians three five. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So there's several more there. But I want to look just very briefly at the life of Joseph. If you think of actually his day-to-day life and what he had to endure, and yet what happened in the end. <clears throat> and we find this, of course, in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph, when he's 17 years of age, it seems like uh, father has found him to be his favorite. And he gives him special gifts, special cloak, and so on. And Joseph received two dreams from the Lord. And, of course, he wants to share with everybody. And it says, we're binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while sheaves are gathered around mine and bowed down to it. That might feed your ego a little bit. It was evident that this promise from God, that Joseph would, would be a person of prominence, authority to be revered, honored, and others would become in subjection to him. Then he has a second dream. In this dream, the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to him. And his family was thrilled by that, I'm sure. <laughs> it looked like the father, mother, and all his family would submit to the youngest. Of course, the youngest in that culture would not be the most honored, usually the oldest. Now, of course, he, he lacked wisdom, pride. He was proud, naive, and self-focused. But this was a legitimate promise from God. And we know the reaction of his brothers became angry, jealous, there was envy, hatred, and they plotted to kill him. But instead they sold him into slavery to the Midianites. They pretended he was killed. He sold to the Egyptians to Potiphar, one of the Pharaoh's officials. But, but we might ask, what about the promise? Where do the prophetic dreams fit in anyway? But what's interesting for Joseph is somehow he didn't become bitter. In fact, the Lord was with Joseph. He prospered as he lived in the house of his master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and gave him charge of his whole household and trust to his care everything he owned. So Potiphar, his slave master, was blessed. And I think there's a lesson for all of us in this and that God did not take him out of his circumstances but blessed him in the midst of them. You may find that happen in your life. It's happened in our lives. Our biggest prayer usually is that we want out, we want it to be over, we want it finished. <laughs> but he wants to put in you what he's got for you. We know the story, God was still with him, but Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. 
and he did the right thing. He said no. And for his trouble of doing no, he's falsely accused and put in prison. We, we, we might ask, where's God? Punished for doing what's right? Where is justice? This isn't fair. Put yourself in his shoes. Why, why would you feel? But even in prison, there's no sign of bitterness. The Lord was with him, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, and the warden put him in charge of all those in prison. He was in charge. Interesting, we get to heaven to have words with him. Because this, 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 how did he not become better? Joseph remained faithful, soft-hearted to the Lord. He didn't let circumstances overwhelm him. He didn't react. Pardon me, he says, that ain't normal. <laughs> Would you, you have had a pity party, held your breath, stamped your feet. How come following God is so hard? What happened to the promises of God? Well, the story goes on. The cupbearer and baker of the king are put in the same prison as Joseph. Both had dreams, which Joseph correctly interpreted. That's his prophetic gift, I guess. He could interpret dreams. And Joseph asked them to be reminded to Pharaoh, because he's languishing in jail for doing what was right. And maybe one of the hardest things that I see, he was then forgotten for two years. So much waiting. Have you been waiting? Have you been waiting for God to move in your life? Yes. In prison unjustly. Where is God? What about his promises? Pharaoh has a dream. And he has a series of magicians, and he asks them for an interpretation. No one is able to interpret. And the cupbearer who survived and was, I guess, reinstated, remembers two years later that Joseph had a dream, and, or he had a dream, and Joseph interpreted it correctly. So Joseph is summoned to Pharaoh. He's asked to interpret the dream. Now, some things to remember here is uh, if he's bitter and angry and lost his faith, he would not be able to hear from God. He's got one shot. He'd probably be killed if he didn't get it right. And where, the, where he was a brash young man, now he says he cannot do it, but God will. His pride is gone, self-reliance is gone, fully dependent on God. We all have to take that journey where we become fully dependent on God. The further you go, the greater dependence there is, we've discovered. So Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream, Joseph interprets it. And furthermore, God gave Joseph a strategy out of the dream. So Joseph suddenly goes from the outhouse to the penthouse. <laughs> He's put in charge of the palace. Everyone is to submit to Joseph. Only Pharaoh is greater than Joseph. 
So suddenly, dreams are being realized. Joseph's heart was pure. There's no bitterness. He didn't revert to pity party. He didn't lose faith. He still had the ability to hear from God when the crunch was on. And here's the, here's the major point. The delayed answer didn't destroy him. Instead, it made him. That long trial of persevering through all those different events where he did the right thing and he seemed to get punished for doing the right thing. But somehow on the inside, he kept his heart pure. Joseph is now 30 years old. He had a 13-year wait. 13-year wait. So now he's, he's one of the major leaders in Egypt. There's a famine in the holy country. Jacob sent 10 of his brothers to buy food. And his son bowed down to him <laughs> because they were in deep, deep need. At that moment, they didn't know who he was. But Joseph recognized him, and he says, well, I want you to bring your younger brother, Benjamin. So the next time Benjamin came, and then Joseph revealed who he was. And I'm sure his brothers thought that this is game over. But it was during this time that Joseph saw God's perspective of what had happened to him. And this is critical for all of us, is to have Father's perspective. It says in Genesis 45, verse 7, but God sent, this is Joseph speaking, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. You may wrestle with that. God sent him in all those horrible trials he had to endure. Have we forgotten the sovereignty of God? And he looks at a purpose way down the road, which we're usually oblivious to. But think of Joseph, 13-year delay, slave, promise delayed, taken to another land, separated from his family, rejection, false accusation, humiliation, betrayal, seemingly forgotten. Day by day, moment by moment, How could we handle it? How could this be God? With character or heart preparation, there's no shortcuts. It takes time. We want it now, if not sooner. When faced with this kind of situation, now none of us will probably go through what he went through, Maybe not. But we come to a place of making a choice. Do we give up? Forget it. I can't deal with this. It's too hard. Or choose to go on pressing to him and just have faith in the one who sent you into that situation. What's he doing? And I can identify with a lot of this myself. He's rooting out pride, rebellion, self-reliance, Independence. 
He's building into us humility of heart and complete dependence on God. We are valued in being his son or daughter, not for prophetic utterances over our lives. We're not to lose heart and become discouraged. We can look at the pattern in the scriptures. You know, Moses was kept in obscurity for 40 years before he realized what he was made for. Abraham obeyed God, went to the promised land only to find a famine. David's anointed a future king and then had to run for his life. The life of Job. All he lost was his children, his wealth, and his health. Apart from that, things went well. <laughs> How would you like to be the Apostle Paul? Shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead. Why all the waiting? Why the need to persevere? It seems to be his pattern. And I had a little taste of that. Nothing like Joseph, of course. <clears throat> but I used to work in uh, IBM Canada, which is one of those great international companies. But I got a put in a very high stress job. <clears throat> and after being there two years, I became a believer. And I met Janice right then, too. That was... Come on, come on. Good year. Come on. And uh, I realized that all my values and priorities changed. I wasn't really interested in going up the corporate ladder because I really valued being involved in church, being involved in our family. We had four kids. But my work had lots of overtime, and especially the summertime. So I'd always be at work in the summertime, which is fun for Janice with four kids. And she's pulling her hair out, trying to figure what to do with four kids, you know. So someone in church said, it's really good to pray. Have you ever heard that in church? Anybody ever heard? <laughs> so I started to pray. I said, I, I actually want out of here. I want to get another job. And uh, nothing happened. In fact, I won two administrative achievement awards. I got to send the band for three or four days and skiing on the, on the company. And then another time in Vancouver, won the suggestion award. And I'm praying to get out. I'm getting promoted, I'm getting raises. One time I actually quit the job at lunch and didn't go back. <laughs> and something happened that never happens. My boss came to meet me that night and said, you can't quit, you have to come back. <laughs> and she brought me back. But what I, was, what I would do when I was at work is, well, if, if, I'm, if you want me to finish the day, I need your grace to finish the day. Every day I had to call for grace. And that priority always answered. One day I was so fed up, I phoned Janice at lunchtime. I said, I'm coming home tonight and I'm not going back. I said, I've had it. This is crazy. This is not what my life's all about. But I prayed. <laughs> or give me grace to finish the day. So I walked past the boss's office. He calls me in. 
as the hell you I'm going to be fired. And it gave me the biggest raise I've ever had in my life. So I come in the, in the house. Janice thinks I'm now unemployed. We have no money. I hand her the slip. I just said, we just got the biggest raise I've ever had in my life. See, this prayer thing, isn't, it doesn't always work, see? I, I thought. Fast forward. Her journey continued. For some strange reason, he calls us to be on the senior pastoral team at the airport church in Toronto. Joined in September 93. And in January 94, all heaven broke out in our church. And over a short period of time, our church grew probably four times bigger than when we started. We had three or four million visitors. We had church six days a week, started off seven days a week. We had meetings every day. We were involved in everything you can think of. John also says we need to have a church. We're trying to maintain a church while having three million visitors. We're all speaking. We're all traveling. I'm hosting conferences. I'm overseeing intercession small group pastor. We had a fair bit of workload. Imagine the stress. And I heard in that still small voice, he says, that time in IBM was for now. And then he said, I actually answered your prayer. We probably don't think of this. Do you know that no is an answer to prayer? <laughs> Have you ever thought of that? No. He said no. But in the midst of it, you don't know what in the world God's doing. So then I was very glad that he said no. Because every day in the church, I knew, and I love what I was doing there, so it was like the grace of God was just, I don't know, it was miraculous what happened there, wasn't it? Because you can't, you can't do that much work and survive. But it was his plan. He said, I, I had to teach you that my grace would always be sufficient. But we can't do this without pressing into Jesus. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We can't do it alone. We need his perspective. We need his presence. You need to know Jesus. If you don't know him yet, you need to know Jesus. Because life begins when you give your life to him. He wants to build into us a tenacity to never give up. Because I think we're heading into days where we're going to really be tested. And perseverance is going to be key. But it's in partnership with the Lord. It's walking with him. Living out of his presence. Drawing his strength. So many days I wake up in the morning and I said, man, I feel weak today. But because of what I've experienced, but my next line is, but I know in my knower that your strength is perfected in weakness. So being weak does not stop me, but it just somehow releases his strength. Wow. So why don't we stand? I hope this doesn't scare you. I think, it's, I think it's time to face reality. 
that these are very difficult times. And I think it's probably going to get worse. On the other hand, it's going to get better. Because we're going to persevere, we're going to find him, we're going to, he's going to reveal himself to us in impossible situations. Let's just hold our hands up to him. Or we draw us close. Father, we're completely dependent on you. The truth is, every one of us in this room is weak. We cannot do this alone. But we never have to do it alone. You'll never leave us nor forsake us.